what Brooklyn sounds like. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. I give a shit. We all need somebody who really cares about us. And, you know, I'm sending my caring my caring thoughts and feelings out to you. Um, we should all be, I think people are starting to like feel uplifted in the last day or two because I did notice, and it's not just you, but I noticed this sort of wholesale depression uh, visiting everyone because it just, the winter was dragging on. It's that, that, that res- winter residue that, you know, we're all kind of tired of. And I think that happens sort of like every season, like the end of the summer, we're all like, I don't know. Maybe it's not really kind of the same. The end of the winter is a lot more fun. But anyway, we're on a good mood today because it's really nice out. And, uh, you know, Michael Cohen's got his jail sentence. Roger Stone's getting his jail sentence. So I think we're all feeling a little more hope. I don't know. That cheers me up. Is that mean? I can be mean. I care about I care about people, but I can also be mean. Those are two two things I can have. I can be, I can have both those qualities. I want to remind you that you're listening to um, Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, Dr. Lisa gives a shit in particular. I'm here every Thursday, two to three. And uh, please, uh, please join us, please. You know, we're doing this really great teen program uh, for teens. We're teaching them all about radio and media literacy, and we could use a few you know, join and help us. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. So I have a particularly fascinating guest for you today. Her name is uh, Rebecca. I'm going to start with that. Okay, so I, I, I want Rebecca to tell you about herself mostly. But I'm going to give you a little background. One thing I, I would like to let you know is that her artwork is fabulous. Her work is um, very, um, well, beautiful, beautiful, poignant, well-made, but um, thoughtful and has an intellect. I think an intellectual, you know, you, you ha- it, it draws you in. And I think you can get a lot out of it by looking at it for a long time. Uh, and I like work like that. I think I think it has it's meaningful. It's meaningful. Um, so she she has shown a lot. She has a master's degree in art, and she's studying art history at Hunter. And I can tell you all those things about her. And um, Rebecca is also like we are going to be starting a show here with her soon, a podcast, which she'll tell you about. And um, she's had a really fascinating journey from uh, to America. She grew up around with the squat theater community. The squat theater community is uh, I was immediately excited about that because in meeting her because the squat theater, when I moved to New York in 1978, was this very, very well-known, very avant-garde theater organization or whatever and community, you know, co-op organization, whatever you want to call it. And they did 
very radical and very, uh, I think, important work. I'm, I know that they must be in a lot of uh, history books about New York and history of theater and stuff like that. So she, Rebecca, was on the first lines uh, as a child in that environment. So I think we're going to, I'm certain we are going to have a fascinating conversation and let's get to it. So the first thing we're going to do is have Rebecca introduce herself and explain um, what she wants to about her childhood and coming to America. Hi, Hi Rebecca. Hello, Dr. Lisa. Please, um, please talk into the mic. Oh, yeah. So um, where should I start on the on the coming to Ellis Island and no, I'm just joking. I didn't go through Ellis Island, but, um, I was, you were born in, I was born in Budapest and, um, are you an only child? No, I have an older sister. Uh huh. Is she in America too? Yeah. We came here together with my mother when we were, I was five. Well, I was six actually. I left, hungry at the age of five but by the time i arrived in the united states i was six we spent a year in paris and my sister is five years older and um, she was with you yeah so three of you yeah well three of immediate family and then this adoptive uh you know collective family which was the squat theater members of the mm-hmm. squat theater and there were other children there already so what um, did but so you were moving from Budapest to uh, join them eventually. Well, I mean, did they you know, already interesting. exist? We we left in small groups of people. It wasn't that everybody, but was able to get on the same plane and leave Budapest at the same time. Right, but, but we all met up in in Paris. But so, the question I'm asking is: Was the Squat Theater formed in Hungary? Yes, it was formed, and you moved as a collective several years prior. Okay. In fact, the name Squat Theater was only adopted once they left Hungary. Mm-hmm. It was a different name. It was a Hungarian mm-hmm. name called um, Apartment Theater. Right. So, the equivalent, you know, the translation. So of. it was a group. And your mother, I'm assuming, was a theater person then? She was not. She was a, she went, she studied graphic design at the National Academy. Mm. Um, I mean, that was technically the term of what she studied, but it was a fine arts academy. Mm-hmm. And that's where she had met my husband. Uh, my husband, Ooh, her husband. Brian, Brian slept. slept there. Uh-huh. Ooh, okay, what are you going to do with that one? Um, her, her future husband, which was my father, at the at school, at an school. art school, which is such a traditional story of like, ooh, cell phones going off. Oh, that never is, happens. Is that a theme song? That rarely happens. No. Sorry about that. Oh, it's fine. It's my cousin, um, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> uh, so anyway. So, um, um, they, they, yeah, they were together for 10 years. My mother did leave him in a not so nice way. She had started an affair with one of the members of the squat theater mm-hmm. and that's how she became a theater person. Mm. And then, um, my father, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about the immediate circumstances surrounding the, my my departure or our departure. And I don't 
know the exact story, but I believe my father had had a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. right around that time. So he was incapacitated from really doing anything about it. Mm. But I also feel that he was the type of person that would just have allowed things to happen, even mm-hmm. though you remember him as passive. He was kind of passive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that he didn't care. He of just, course. I don't think he knew really like my mother was a very strong. Your mother was a force in nature. Yes. Yeah. She so, was a force uh, in nature. Um, so, so let me just ask you one question. So your older sister, is she in this country now? Yes, she is. Where does she live? If, she lives in New York City. And are you yeah. guys close? Do you, do you talk about what happened? Well, you know, do you get our, information about your childhood from her? Um, we should, yeah, she and I should talk about it more. In fact, I'm not so much in contact with any members of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason for that is because it was... Uh, you know, a good, good, it was very interesting and there were lots of wonderful things, but it was also a lot of dark and difficult things. And I think that when that happens, people later in life, they just, you know, need space or something. And I think that that's what we both need, but we do kind of come together every once mm-hmm. in a while. And are like, you, are have, you and her hesitant about talking about it? Not entirely. No, I, I don't mean, think so. I don't think that's uncomfortable. I don't think that topic and is particularly taboo for us. In fact, uh-huh. we, she and I are, are attempting to work together on being, uh, what is the word? Uh, caretakers of the, of our father's, mm-hmm. um, um, estate, estate because mm-hmm. he was an artist and mm-hmm. he, uh, we inherited, um, jointly, a number of artworks, mostly, you know, works on paper because that's mm-hmm. what was his medium, which is really great to to do that, to to inherit works mm-hmm. on paper because they're easy to oh, handle. Right, right, right. It's not like sculpture or but something. Is, what um, does your sister do? I'm not sure. How How is it that you're not sure? <laughs> I just, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't know what she does. I don't I know. I think she's like independently unwealthy. I don't know. I mean, she has her, she owns an apartment, which was gifted to her by our mother. I think she rents out. So you're you're not not really that in touch with her. No, I just, yeah. Yeah. And what about your dad? I mean, your mom. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's important. My mother um, had a career for many years with the squat theater as a, as the, they, the the sole artistic director, which oh, meant wow. that she did everything from designing to producing all the set the sets and wow. um, techniques, and she actually won an Obie Award for wow. it in That's the eighties. Very yeah. especially there was so much great theater in New York then. I mean, that's really impressive. It was like I. Like I was telling you guys, it was a very, very well-respected yeah. theater. I'm not surprised to and hear that. And then she worked um, for, I don't know if you know Richard Haas, but he was a muralist and had a big company. She worked for him for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then she um, became a decorative, independent decorative painter. Mm-hmm. And that is um, mm-hmm. what she still does on occasion. Yeah. But she's like semi-retired. Do you see her very often? Where does she live? No, I don't. I mean, we communicate sometimes and like we have moments of truce, but 
for the most part, we're not mm-hmm. in contact. Mm-hmm. She lives in New York too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I just wanted to make sure there's one really famous play. The what the about- it was uh, Andy Warhol's Last Love. There That's was Pig Child Fire, which was also mm-hmm. put the Squat mm-hmm. Theater on the map. It mm-hmm. toured um, Europe. Mm-hmm. We even went to Iran once. Wow, as a child, um, yeah. I just so. Do you remember what life was like for you in those? Do you remember moving here? Do you remember going through all that? Um, I remember little bits and pieces, yeah, of mm-hmm. um, trying to adjust. Some of it was trying to adjust with like the food mm-hmm. because um, I didn't like peanut, peanut butter and jelly. I just did uh, not understand that. Like, what are you guys eating? I, what is that? It's that so makes... saccharine. It's so sweet. Yeah, I know. I get it. That type of thing, little things like that. that. Peanut butter and jelly doesn't really make sense if you think about it, you know? No, but I mean, those two individually are great. And I and I like it now, too. It's just that it, the, the sweetness, everything was sweeter and the mm-hmm. portions were bigger. And I'm sure a lot of people say that when they come to this country, but... Um, I'm here to testify that it is true. Mm-hmm. Like I would go to my friends' homes and um, they'd have this huge meal. And then you're like, okay, that was really hard to get through. It was great. It was delicious. But I think I need to like fall asleep or something and mm-hmm. digest. And then there'd come this massive, uh, you know, portion of pie with this massive dollop of vanilla ice cream on top. And you're mm-hmm. like, how can you... How can you eat that so, so after what is that your, huge meal? I know. Welcome I know. to America. So what is your um, what is your impression of like those times? Because I imagine, like from my point of view, they sound like they would be really stressful and unpredictable and all that. Like not knowing, you know, being being brought. To, you know, first you were in Paris and then some other place and all that. Like that sounds really disorienting and frightening. Do you remember feeling? Did your mom make you? Do you remember how you felt? Did your mom make you feel secure or was it weird or do you remember how you felt? Oh, I don't remember any particular um, incidences of panic, although I got lost in the subway and I think I had reoccurring nightmares for a long time after that. Um, It happened twice, I think, and I was around seven. Did you get away from your, you weren't riding the subway alone, were you? Yeah, I was. At seven? Yeah, like, it's like that nightmare where, like, your family gets off and you are slow. You're lagging behind and the doors close. It happened to me. That was was not so bad. But then it happened again where I went to school by myself. That seems really crazy. At age seven, my mom put me on the subway. But she didn't wait for the subway for me, with me. And I got on the wrong subway. And then I was found myself all the way uptown and lost in New York City. Like, that's a nightmare. Well, I mean, I know this sounds really judgmental, but... But why from, did she let me on the well, subway from my, from my from my no point idea. of view, that seems really, like, yeah, irresponsible. And what's your... But I'm... That's me. I think what, she What's was your a, feeling I, about I, it? I also think that is crazy. Like, I would never do that. But I was very independent. Uh, I mean, I did a lot of things... By myself, I think. I don't know. That was a strange once once in a... Mm -hmm. It just didn't... I don't know why she did that. That was outstanding. But what she... So um, what I'm trying to find out is if you felt safe, if she made you feel safe, or if you were more trying to 
if you were put in a position of looking out for yourself? I think, or- well, she was like, a, like I said, a strong individual. And I think that as long as I was nearby, like I felt safe, mm-hmm. you know, what but, were the living it's really, but it's really funny because I had a best friend who grew up on my block mm-hmm. and her um, mom had a second child um, without like a parent and, and, you know, a husband or boyfriend in the house. So my, my friend ended up being, um, how do you say, like the second caretaker. Mm-hmm. And since I was her best friend, I would also be like a second caretaker mm-hmm. and we we were 10 years old. Mm. So from the age of 10 till about 17, every day after school, we would take her little sister to the sand park to wherever. So the three of us, uh, me and my friend and her little sister were like very independent. Mm-hmm. And um, were you all part of the squad theater family? No, she lived down the block. She was uh, not a theater member, uh-huh. She, but she was like practically a theater member. And where were you living? 23rd Street between mm-hmm. 7th and 8th Avenues. Right, right. And was that, that's the location of the theater as I remember. So yeah. did you live in yes, where the yes, theater was? Yeah. So, so what was living the, there like? Was so, it like a big commune or what was it like yeah it was a big commune exactly so there was a communal kitchen on the second floor Mm -hmm. and then there were two floors above that where um the members would have very you know their apartments and there Mm -hmm. were like two or three apartments on and then when i mean apartment it was just um yeah there was a communal bathroom and um like a living room area Mm -hmm. for themselves and bedroom Mm -hmm. there's no like private kitchen so all the cooking and eating was done together Mm -hmm. and what um school did you go to did you went i went to a school nearby called is 70 Mm -hmm. which incidentally was funny because the year before i arrived it they had been uh voted by the city as number one in like Mm -hmm. uh english and literature Mm -hmm. but it was one of the in my opinion, talking talk about coming to America was was so dangerous. Like there were um, dropout kids selling, you know, crack. Not crack. Mm-hmm. It was like a precursor to crack. Yeah, it was like but drugs, speed, drugs. and all this stuff. Like these were kids that dropped out in the seventh great wow. selling drugs and there would be huge fights where the police would have to come and intervene after school wow. like imagine hundreds of kids and then i remember once like seeing tufts of hair like on the street uh. and kids would get mugged um in the hallways on their way uh. to getting a drink of water and this was in the a school? school that was a good school wow yeah so do you it sounds like um your environment sounds, you know, really, um, let's say offbeat. We'll use that word. Um, what, did you feel that you were in a particularly different situation from other kids or did you not really think about it when you were in school? Um, I think that sometimes I got these, um, you know, awakenings where people were like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I remember one time a, a friend's dad picked her up from like, you know, coming she was at my playing house, playing, at house. Play, yeah play date or whatever and I think I was like uh in the fourth grade or something and he comes into my bedroom which I shared with my adoptive theater sister um but he was like his jaw dropped he's like do you realize your bedroom is the same size as our entire apartment like you had a big bedroom yeah it was like 700 square feet Wow. Yeah, it was huge. And I shared that with my sister before she moved out. And How then did you get I, so and, much an, room? And, and an adoptive 
and an adoptive mm-hmm. stepsister. Mm-hmm. So really it was just like the three of us in this massive room um, because it was a huge building. It was like a they double the building. It was like a double wide townhouse. Mm-hmm. So double wide, like imagine like mm-hmm. it's not I'm trying to remember it. I mean, I know yeah. I've been there. Then- I mean, it was. Yeah. So for us, so I think we were like 16 people all together, including children. It was a big we mm-hmm. had a lot of space. In fact, one of the ironies um, of like living in a place or growing up the way I did was that we we felt I felt really wealthy in this in certain ways and mm. very poverty stricken in other ways. In other words, the space was grand. I had this beautiful bedroom with a skylight in the center wow. of it. Um, but yet we had no hot water or no heat. Ah, ah. And, 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 and if you miss dinner, there was nothing to eat wow. except maybe some bread and butter. Wow. So it was like this strange. And then the other thing that we would have, uh, which other, you know, friends of mine didn't have were these, we would be invited every other summer to festivals in, in, um, in Europe. Europe. Right. So we were treated like Kings. Oh, wow. You know, so. And you were always in a, a group, it was a mix. right? It was a big mix. Did you life. feel like that group was your family more than just your parents, mother, meaning? Yeah. Mother felt, and sister, really. Uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of so course. you've, that might have given you a feeling of being insulated in a way. Insulated when we travel. Well, it sounds like the whole thing was just this, to me, being from a fairly you know, my background is so much more conventional that your background sounds, you know, a little out of control in the sense that um, there's just a lot, it sounds like a lot of people and taking this, you know, like your parent, your mother sounds like she gave you a lot of freedom. And so I'm just saying, but it it kind of, but kind of like if you had a problem, you could, there were probably like five out, five different adults. No, I would never go to any of them with any of my problems. Why? Because they were so nuts. (laughs) So like adults to me, like they, it wasn't that. What was their behavior? But I think that I did feel comfortable with them uh, to a certain degree. I mean, there were certain members of the theater that always felt more of a mystery to me than, than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I had, I think I was wary of adults in general, to be quite honest. And Mm -hmm. I think that in, uh, I was a bit shy and like a little bit um, reluctant to engage. And I really got more of my um, sense of um, camaraderie Uh or uh, from friends. And I also spent, quite a bit of time outside of the home. So through my friends and their families, I would spend time with them. And I think uh-huh. that in retrospect, I, it was a con, it was a, it was a decision, although it was a subconscious or unconscious decision mm-hmm. I was making, but I, mm-hmm. I really felt like I needed to have other influences. Right. I felt like, because Stability. I think I think uh, the, the the adults in the theater kind of thought in a way that they were living this rock and roll life, mm-hmm. you know, like they might have. Did as well, you see a lot going on? Was there not drugs not, and sex and craziness, or what did you see? Did I, I mean, don't know if they, I actually witnessed things, but um, yeah, there was a lot of pot smoking. There was a ton of cigarette smoking. There was, I mean, our my home was a nightclub for many years. Like I would hear the music and, 
Um, but I don't think I necessarily witnessed anything yeah. particularly, but I just felt like I, I, I don't think that I got that sense that they would really have time for kids problems anyway. Right. Right. So I didn't, I probably just didn't even Now your bother. mother was the artistic director. So was she sort of like, you know, in charge of all this in any way or in charge of the artistic, whole, the whole community in any way? Well, I th- there were a lot of decisions that were made communally. Like they would have these round table talk dis- discussions about various things, mostly about, um, creative, um, things mm-hmm. like writing a new play, et cetera. Yeah. And I was also, an actress, I think. I guess mm-hmm. Were you in the production? I was in several of them, but um, a lot of the roles were quite, you know, easy for a child to do. Like the mm-hmm. first um, in- instance of me performing, um, all of the children were asked to perform, and it was in a production called Cool King Kong, which uh, pr- which premiered in Amsterdam in an old like decommissioned Mm -hmm. um, church. Wow. And it was actually a really fun role. Like I was asked to put on a silver trench coat and silver Mm -hmm. spray painted boots. Mm -hmm. And the boots had these little like star Mm -hmm. um, stamps on the heel. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to like, just walk down the aisle of the nave of the church with the other children, Mm -hmm. you know, in a, in a single line and, Somehow we were like supposed to be aliens from another planet. That sounds like fun. And um, but the the best part was that the entire theater would be was blaring the Bee Gees, like one of their hit <laughs> songs, and it was like this moment of recognition for me that I actually really love disco. You have you, you know it's really funny. It's such a joyous look on your face when you were discussing that. I just want my <laughs> listeners to know that it was hilarious. <laughs> So uh, I've never heard anybody talk about the Bee Gees quite that reverentially. Um, But anyway, thank you for that. So um, how does one go from an environment like that to go get go to like college and Hunter College? Like, you know what I mean? Mm. Like what 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 did that what how did you transition into adulthood? And like, did you live? live in that way until you went to college or like how, wh- what happened there? Well, I went to Pratt Institute. I went, first of all, I went to an arts high school. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was very seamless for me in New like York, doing like, art. Yeah. Um, and uh, art and design, high school art and design. La- LaGuardia is, you went to LaGuardia. Yeah. LaGuardia. Uh, that makes sense. Which is the fame school. Right. It's the fame called. school. So you were around like a, bunch of actors and actresses yeah did you meet you know they have celebrity kids there did you meet any celebrity kids no no nope nope mm-hmm. um i think there were a couple of celebrities in the school at the time i think that i think jennifer aniston was maybe a few mm-hmm. years ahead of me and Cher's daughter was also mm-hmm. but it was a huge school mm-hmm. and there i yeah did but anyways not. so that but my m- friend actually um was very close to getting the part against um, what's her name? Um, you know, the, remember that film D- "Dangerous Liaison"? Yeah, she was like, she was a, a very close contender for that uh, wasn't role. That, uh, the, what's her name? Uh, Uma Thurman's role. Yeah, really. Yeah. Wow. So she was a working actor, and um, but she wasn't. She wasn't 
yeah, as famous, but, but clearly. She, but she, yeah, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good callback to yeah, that's a pretty be, good callback. Be, be. Um, and I studied so when art. You got, when mm-hmm, and when you got to um, high school, did that make you? Was that like a good transition? Did do you feel at home there when you were finally around art kids? Like, did that feel? I think more it like felt a, really natural for me. I don't think it felt, you know, like oh, I found my people. It was just like this is normal. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking, this is how naive I was. But did it seem more normal than a regular high school? No, no, I think because I didn't go to a regular high school, so that wasn't just a normal high school that you went to. I mean, well, a normal I, public I mean, school. It was in that sense, except that you had art classes, you had live mm-hmm. nude drawing, you had to be a oh, little in high bit. School. Mm-hmm. It was advanced. It was a Manhattan high school. Yeah. public school with a lot of kids. It was like, like junior college in that mm-hmm. sense that you were already, you know, doing the things that you envision yourself doing in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. Yeah. So, so it all kind of made sense when you were going through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's one of those things that I think in the back of my mind throughout my um, high school years and my college years, and I'm sure a lot of people have the same experience, but I, I think buried underneath I had anxiety about what the heck was I going to do when I got out because being an artist is such an insecure future financially Mm -hmm. that and it was always this you know anxiety that I kept suppressing like you don't have to deal with it now and deal with it when you graduate but (laughs) um yeah do you know what I'm talking about (laughs) well yeah I guess so no I mean yeah I mean it was something I certainly I studied commercial art for that particular reason, but yeah. And I wish I would have, like, I wish I would have done something more, whatever, but I didn't. Um, so I studied painting in college and then my last year I got really into photography and that kind of took over Mm -hmm. for a number of years. I did photography Mm -hmm. and at the time Pratt Institute had this wonderful, um, alumni program that allowed alumni to come back. It was like written in their charter. Mm -hmm. Um, no other school did this. It was very, it's since then they've got done away with it, but, any alumni that knew about this program, which was a small percentage of us, can come back and like use their facilities for nominal fee. So it mm-hmm. really allowed me as a, um, you know, oh, struggling great. artist to make a huge, you know, body of work in photography. Right. They had the professional color oh, printer, printers mm-hmm. and that you took advantage of all that too digital which labs is and to, everything to yeah, it was great and then after that i got into video for a number of years because i felt mm-hmm. like video is kind of an extension of photography as it felt sure, like a I very seamless that. and and also theater yes and theater and so ultimately yeah all of that that body of work was influenced by my theater uh-huh. experiences and, and role and, playing. It was a lot of characters in my photography. It wasn't. Did like, you live at the squat theater commune? Let's call it while you were going to college or how did you, did you know? So did the you transition theater, out of that, the theater at the space on 23rd street um, ended in the, can't remember the exact 80s. year, but again, mid eighties, late eighties. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into a relatively, um, like nuclear family type situation, living situation with my stepfather and my mother and my dog. Whom and what I about loved. your older Shout sister? out to my childhood dog. Aww. Yogi. 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 Um, uh, my sister at that point, 
had already moved out many years prior. And at that, I think she was living in Paris. She moved to Paris. So glamorous, um, living very Bohemian style. She, um, was studying at the Sorbonne actually art history, but she never, yeah, she didn't finish. Obviously bright. Yeah. She's a bright girl for, you know, and and it's interesting because she never finished, um, high school. Mm. Both, both she and my other stepsister, I don't know where they got this idea because the same year they're, they're exactly the same age. They both dropped out in the 10th grade. Hmm. The, I mean, this was back in the eighties when there's a lot of hard partying going on and it was just not cool to be in school because how are you going to stay out till four in the morning and make it to your next class and 8am or whatever. So it just was inconvenient for them. Did you do but, that as well? No. No, you're looking, she's looking at me like, no, did you, did they do that? I mean, I went out, but. Did you avoid all that, like, you know, partying and stuff? No. No, but I don't think I took it quite as seriously, like as a job. (laughs) Yeah. They must have had some hell of a time there, huh? Yeah. Studio 54, maybe? Or was it more downtown than that? I think it was, I mean, I'm sure they went that way, but, um. More mud club. Yeah. Oh, definitely the mud mm-hmm. club. And Which you, I missed. I missed uh-huh, that whole thing. Young. But. Uh, so it. So what about your stepfather? Did you? Was he really like? Was that like having a real? Was it a f- real father I mean, I role? Think he Did influ- you like him? He influenced me the same amount that an, a real father would. But I'm not sure that was a good thing. <laughs> I'm just joking. Are you still in touch th- with him? No, he, he, he passed away um, oh, about, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ten. 14 years ago. Oh. Is yeah. he still in touch with your mom? I mean, is, was your mom still with him? Is he still no, listen to me? no, they were, he they had separated. He had moved back actually to Budapest and had started a new life really there. He had a second child who's mm-hmm. like now maybe 17 or fif- mm-hmm. 15 Mm-hmm. Like he had a completely new chapter after the squat theater and after he and my mother's marriage dissolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was already an adult. Um, so I've met you. So, I want to ask you a question. So I've met you several times, um, which I've always enjoyed immensely. Uh, but I would say that like after talking to you now, like you present as not somebody from that background at all. Like it's not superficially or even moderately superficially evident that you're from a background that you're describing, which is unusual from my point of view. So I'm wondering like what, what you've dealt with. I mean, you've said you've been in therapy, like how, how did it affect you? How did having a background like that affect you, affect you today, affect you at, you know, like how how have you gone through it? I think it's just kind of, if anything, it's like um, confusing. So it's like being on a, um, being spun around. You know, you put your, bl- someone puts blinders on you and spins you around and then takes off the blinders and be like, okay, do something, you know, do something good or try to keep your balance. That's mm-hmm. That's kind of a good analogy. Like, I think it was a little disorienting. Mm-hmm. I'm still intact and I'm. Fine. Highly functional. But I think that I had to like get my balance did from you, that experience. Did you, did you like um, 
at some point realized that, I mean, I think to me what sounds the most difficult is that there seems to be a certain amount of inconsistency that it would be hard for a child or developing human to count on like, you know, a certain thing happening every day and like a certain person who's going to be in this room, you know, be home and Mm. like consistency and expectations. And well, you know, the funny thing about that thing about consistency is that even if you didn't know who was going to be home, you knew someone would be home because it was a huge house full of lots of people. So I kind of like that, but yeah, Yeah, but I mean, you didn't have a point person. It sounds like you didn't have a point person. Like most kids have a point person hopefully the mother yeah i think my mother would have been the point person but i do think that she was quite um busy she was busy oh yeah (laughs) and if she wasn't busy she would add on things to make her i mean she was a bit of a workaholic yeah and because you were living in a communal environment with people that were kind of like family but not really family i could see how she'd wouldn't have to be thinking about whether you were, and you're obviously an independent kid. Absolutely. Like she wasn't the PTA mom. Like she never, she was not a PTA mom. Yeah, she was. It doesn't sound like she was intimately like most parents or a lot. She was no helicopter parent. Let's put it that way. But you know how kids are really like when it came time. Yeah. But you know, it's funny because I, I said the word that, that I'm independent or that I was like, I said that, Mm -hmm. but in fact, I felt very dependent on her because um, I didn't really feel like I had the tools to like deal with things by myself. So I would relegate a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, like things. who filled out your college application? My mother. Okay. But uh, yeah, like All I right. didn't know how to do anything. Okay. I was so she kinda, did do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, she did, did that. Stuff uh-huh. like that. Yeah. So did, was it, so what happened as you transitioned into a full fledged adult? Did you like, wake up and was it like all of a sudden like god this was so weird or was it like or how mm-hmm. how how do you how did you process it i mean you said you went to therapy and stuff yeah, like I went that to so therapy. what what initiated I think that you helped to, i think that what helped. initiated your thinking like i'm going to therapy um i how think old, that like I what had, age what age group age oh around? i was what, already an adult like early 20s yeah no maybe mid or late um okay I think I just had a real strong desire to talk about it. And I wasn't, you know, like to talk about the little things and you, you wanted know, to feel losing hurt? my father because like losing my father was not something we ever talked about at home. In fact, we hardly ever said his name. You mean, you mean the fact that your mom like or, broke up or with, really even, broke up with yeah, him? Yeah. So there were a number of years when I really had no, no communication with him and, it got to the point where I couldn't even recognize him on a photograph. So I was like blocking out things like, which is what ch- children do. They're very resilient. It's like, mm-hmm. move on. Like mm-hmm. it's better for your mental health to not be, you know, if you have immediate children, things to do, like try to be happy. But, um, I yeah, well, you, you don't know, have the, those things come back. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a point in your life, maybe at an adolescence, when you start noticing boys or whatever, or being a you know being more being you know being an adolescent. You start thinking, you might have been thinking about your dad, or did did was it a mystery? How did you get in touch with him? Um, 
We did. We went to visit him when I was 10. At that so point, your mother took you. Something like that. No, she did not come to the trip herself, but we happened to be in Europe for a festival and me and my sister went. And I think it was arranged between mm-hmm. him and his sister, mm-hmm. whom he shared a house with. They mm-hmm. had a large house. And at that point, he had moved into that house and had like an apartment quarters mm-hmm. there. And so I think it was arranged by the, them that we would go. So me and my sister went back. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother saying that if she had gone back on that trip, she would be jailed, mm-hmm. which to me, I was like, interesting. What was that frightening a little? It was frightening, but now I realize, like, anyway, yeah, she would have been jailed because she took us out of the country illegally. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't go back for um, a number of years. So did was there like a hole missing that you didn't know about your dad? Like, did did that feel confusing or did it feel, how did it feel? Yeah, it felt very confusing because I had to completely try to rebuild a relationship that hadn't, had, you know, stopped at a certain point. So when we did come to this country, it was, you know, like I was dealing with someone passing away or close family family member dying. Um, and then it was like a resurrection of sorts. But mm-hmm. in a sense, it was like, I didn't recognize the person anymore. I didn't know who. And, and I think likewise, I think with him too, mm-hmm. it was a little like, who is this person? And I, for me, it was like meeting someone completely so what was, for the first time. How did that feel? Was it, was it, that sounds sad to me. That sounds really like sad because it sort of, I mean, I don't mean to be a downer, but it kind of points out um, your development as a child that like just you and that, that didn't happen together. Like it, like well, you'd already, we were, tur- he and I were very close when I was, up until the age of five. So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't no, want to, no. I don't want to say this, but like a parent, you know how like parents sometimes choose a dote on one of the children. Like I was that kid. Yeah, the favorite. And yeah. Like my brother. It. Yeah. Thanks mom. But so, uh, and my, and my sister was more my mom's favorite. So like, that's how that balance was. Right. right. So, and of course I'm not saying it was easier for my sister in fact, in some ways it was harder. I don't know, but I think we were both very much affected. But um, I think maybe, I don't know. Do I, it's hard to compare these to things. to your mom for not explaining it to you or for not handling it more yeah, directly? Yeah, of course. Of have course, you, yeah. yeah. Have you talked to her about that? or? Well, yeah, but I think she's so not about not to talk matter. about it. it's not where that not conversation gonna not going to move forward no. but you do know so what how did therapy like is uh like what what help what what well what it's did funny you get because when i would get to a therapist's office like the second i sat down i would just start yabbering and then i mean by, by yabbering i mean explaining eloquently um uh, mm-hmm. my life story <laughs> so but I wouldn't give them a moment to speak. And at the end of the many months, and sometimes uh-huh. over a year maybe, I would complain that they had nothing to say to me. And this was consistent with like 
all three of them that I went right, to. And right. I was like, why aren't they saying it? I'm like, I, it started to hit me that maybe I was talking too much and just literally they didn't have a moment to say anything. I'm not sure, well, I, but I mean, it could also just have been see, that. See, this is what I'm talking about. It was a defense. <laughs> see, this is what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's my feeling. I'm no. not, I have no formal training. I think that maybe, maybe that was um, like a defense of some sort, an emotional defense so that... Um, Either you didn't have to look at it or you didn't, they weren't going to shine. You didn't really no, want to. I'll tell you what it is, Okay, Lisa. go ahead. Yeah, you would know better okay, than me. Okay, so for what sure. it was, was that um, I, uh, oh my God, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, defense. Talking a lot. <laughs> was it defense? Uh-oh. I, oh, no, I, I just, oh my God, I totally Take your blanked. time. I blanked. Take I your blanked. time. Don't worry about it. It happens. It happens yeah. to me sometimes, yeah. which yeah. is really bad since it's my show. No, I realize one of the things that came out from a childhood is that I have a really, I freeze up when things are expected of me. Like I mm. failed the driving part of my driver's test Hilarious. five times or four Hilarious. times. Like I can't function if it's like, okay, one, two, three, go. What, what? Like, I just freeze up like, oh, it's it's and I think that comes from the theater it must have or some sort of it's literally like some sort of anxiety being thing. being on. And that's that's probably why I couldn't remember my train of thought just Ooh. now. Interesting. Yeah, probably. Huh. Hmm. You get overwhelmed a little. Yeah, it's overwhelming because being on probably. probably yeah, because being on stage did that ever happen to you on stage? Um. Well, you know, some of the roles, like I mentioned, the childhood roles were really seamless from life to right. stage just pretending it was just like well there was another um thing where children were asked to have um supper there's this thing in europe called supper which is not the same as dinner it's mm -hmm. just like a light fair before bedtime mm -hmm. so we had supper on stage with the other children like mm -hmm. it's a very simple task to do right right it's not it doesn't require acting but then when i was about 17 18 i had an actual role uh -huh. And the character's name was the same as me. So there's a little seamless thing mm -hmm. there. But other than that, she really wasn't, you know. You were playing a, an, I was another character. You're playing character. And I, it was at BAM. Wow. And there were literally hundreds of people out in the audience, like a sea of people. Mm -hmm. And I remember being um, off wing or on the mm -hmm. wing or whatever and thinking this, the feeling that I'm having right now is the same equivalent of those people that have to jump off an airplane mm -hmm, and right. like just a whole Sky body diving. experience. Like it's not even mental anymore. It's like your whole body is like freaking out. So that's, that was a little traumatic, but I got over it. And once I got on stage, everything was fine. And you know, good. yeah, it, like, no, that's I, a big deal. I even had fun with it, oh, good. but it's just that that's anxiety. Yeah. That, that leap. Yeah. For that sure. Leap. So you manage that. That's good. So as far as um, we were talking, so defense, I was accusing you yeah, aggressively yeah, let's get back to this. of um, using talking, you know, talking consistently yeah. as a defense. And you said, no, it wasn't. You said it was that you knew it was something else. And I, was I think it was, what you were I can't say. remember exactly what I was going to say, but I think it was because I had not been heard and I never spoke about it. And I just wanted recognition that's the word that's what i was going to say i wanted someone else to validate validation right and i think therapists are trained not to take sides so they don't really do that thing that i was looking for 
you know well or the, or they i i'm going to also say perhaps that um you were just you you didn't cuz i noticed even working working talking with <laughs> you now um i'm asking you directly how did this feel like that corny shrink question mm-hmm. how did that make you feel mm-hmm. because um i'm noticing that you're describing events in you know in beautiful details and you are leaving out your feelings about them and you, they are extreme events that must have feelings. So I'm wondering if you were um, confusing the therapist by being aggressively talking, but not hinting that that was what you were trying to convey, that you were trying to mm-hmm. get validation, mm-hmm. you know, um, because he sounds like right. you didn't I, get I it. I don't think I ever said, I want your validation. Because that would be like cheating or something. Like, no, this is no. what I want. So give that to me. No, I would have just wanted it. Okay, well, like. To be given suppo- freely. Suppose, suppose, like, I mean, I think, in, a, in you know, I've been to a whole bunch of shrinks myself. So I imagine saying to a shrink, um, you know, it was really, I really resent the fact that my mother didn't like, you know, have my father call once a week. And then I imagine the shrink saying something like, yeah, that makes sense that you would feel that way. You didn't get that. That's, Not so much. That's, I see, really, do you see like, how that's validating though? Yeah. That's validating without taking sides. Right. Yeah. It's that's just really validating. I think, that, I think I just got unlucky in a sense that all of the, sh- the therapists that I've had were, relatively quiet like they didn't really give much back were they do you know were they freudian did you go like once a week or oh my god one of them was um transference stuff yeah yeah transference and the other one i don't know what the other two were one of them was at the um do you know the karen Horny. Karen Horny. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. so embarrassing to say, like, uh, I go to the Horny Clinic. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Um, Karen Horny's super famous. Um, anyway, uh, could be a bunch of things. It could be that you were communicating that you just needed to talk. I could also see if I was a crappy shrink or, or a lazy shrink. You know, the person comes in week yeah, after lazy, week. Yeah, lazy, I think would be one. And they just want to talk and talk and talk and... You know, I don't know what it's like being a professional shrink where you really ha- are getting paid and you have the pr- the pressure and you have eight patients a day. But, you know, if somebody's like talking and then you're just thinking, well, they need to like get all this out on the table, you, they could miss. And the way that you're presenting it, they might have missed that you needed that validation and you didn't. Mm-hmm. You, I didn't you were you I didn't, didn't want to get it. There was something about you that you were resisting getting it. Because, oh, because you I was were constantly talking. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I mean, if it was something that, you know, you some with like you were probably you could have been overcompensating because you really wanted it. Like it might have been something you wanted so much. Right. You know, you it's didn't funny that admit- you mentioned that because I remember some of the times I got to the point where I was like, I feel like I'm entertaining these people. Like I'm just going on and on and on. Like, thank God this is, you know, it's a client, blah, 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 privilege, like confidential, because they could go off and just write a whole thing. Like, I'm giving them a lot of material, mm-hmm. you know, and I got to the point where I'm like, 
am I doing this for them? Am I, am I, am I performing in the sense of like my theater? Like, I don't want to keep them. I don't want to keep them. Um, I don't want to get the, have them get bored. Not yeah, that I of, made, not that I embellished anything. It's no, I really but a lot of, but. Uh, but maybe you were also, maybe there's some ego involved. Maybe you were really proud of your experience, which I can imagine it was very special and you, you handled it and you got a lot out of it. And maybe you were really proud of it. Maybe you didn't, didn't, um, maybe you, maybe you spoke about it like it was something you were proud of. And so that would have hidden. I don't know. I don't know if I did or not. I think that's an interesting question, but I don't think. Yeah, that I no, did. that didn't sound right. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it could, but that is a big, big. So are you in therapy now? Well, you no, are right. This I, I have, yeah, yeah. This is an intense session. Um, it is, though. Is it? Oh, well, um, good. I'm glad we're thinking about things. Uh, what was the question? I was wondering if you'd been... It's interesting. <laughs> oh, we got you to shut down. See, you shut down. This is great. Um, so uh, that's when you really get somewhere, when you shut down. That's great. I love it. Uh, so we, so simple. Um so I'm wondering, like, if you have gotten what, like, if therapy is, if you've gotten what you can out of therapy, if you're in therapy now, you're not. Did, 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 I would did like therapy to, I help would like you? to try hypnosis. Why is that? Because I think there's some things that I probably don't remember. Um, but, you know, I do, I, I would go back to therapy because I like talking to people mm-hmm. and it doesn't hurt. It's absolutely not yeah, it's always harmful, a good thing, but you're not, you know. um, so it can only do good, but should, I, it, my be. schedule is so crazy uh, that I don't yeah. really have time for it. And also I always had a bit of an issue with spending money because I grew up in such Poverty. you know financial yeah. constraints that it always felt odd to like do that. So, but I did it anyway because I felt like it was an investment in myself and mm-hmm. it is. And I felt like it was really necessary mm-hmm. to do that work. What? But um I'm just yeah, I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm I don't know if I'm I don't have a burning desire to go back to therapy yeah, right that's now. That's cool. But I well, I have discovered this um group that um meets, but I've only gone a handful of times to be honest. I don't make proper use of it. I, what did um, they talk about? They talk What's about, the um, the group? oh, this is interesting. They talk about um, n- malignant narcissism. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Uh, I've heard the term. Okay, well, okay. But what what's the group about? Is it people who have it? People, people exposed no, to people that people have that it? People that have it yeah, would, would never be never in the group. Go. So, no, it's about people that have that in their the lives. Survivors of malignant. And the other thing it's that a survivors I, group, really, isn't it? Yeah, and the other thing that I was really into for a couple of years. Do you think your mother was a malignant narcissist? Probably. You have thought Probably. that. Probably. But you've thought that. Yeah. I'm not saying is she or isn't she. It's something you've thought about. Right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not qualified to make that diagnosis. Me so. neither. But it's something you have thought about. Right. Okay. Um, the other thing that I thought that I've gone to um, over the years is Al-Anon, which is also a great I've heard tool. That's really helpful. How is that helpful? Um, I mean, you haven't had a drinking problem. No, Al-Anon is not for the drinkers. No, no, for the survivors of drinking people with drinking problems or substance abuse. Yeah, yeah either substance one. abuse. Mm-hmm, have, you, have you? Have you? It's for people who are affiliated or have had that in their lives, whether it be parents, right. or relatives. So have like you that. had that or is that? Some- I've had that. Yeah. 
So you've had people around life, you yeah, who are absolutely. who have substance abuse problems. Mm-hmm. So has that? So has that I mean, I think it's. I don't. Yeah, I. I think it's probably it's not the greatest, but I think it is good. Like I think it, all of those things, all those tools, like you, mm-hmm. one should make use of them. You know. So, so we have like five minutes left. Let me ask you. So what when you think about the things that you. Um, don't remember that you would like to remember in hypnosis. What do you, what kind of things come up that you, where's, what kind of holes? I feel like, well, I've had some dreams that um, are reoccurring and I would like to get to the bottom of them, but that's all I'll say about those. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not really prepared are they to discuss childhood that dreams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, dreams from stuff yeah, in yeah, your childhood. Yeah. But you know, one dream that I have had, that's also reoccurring, mm-hmm. but it's completely positive. So it's a mixed bag. I have like mm-hmm. two different dreams. One is like very negative and the other one is super positive. And the positive one I'll just, ta- I'll talk about because that's, that's a nice mm-hmm. thing. Um, the positive one is I'm back in the house on 23rd street at the old squat theater. And my dog is there and the house is either How old are you about? I don't know because like I'm seven, just nine, well, it's like, like that. if you're a child pre adolescent, not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm an adult and I'm like, Oh, this theater. I mean, the, the building is still here and everything is great. Sometimes it's been abandoned. Sometimes it's like half, you know, kind of mm-hmm. crumbling in some parts mm-hmm. of it, but you know, there's still people sometimes moving around in there, but you, it's really, not for me it's the connection to the building like i mentioned how beautiful it was mm-hmm. and how good i felt in my room mm-hmm. and the skylight and this mm-hmm. large space mm-hmm. it's i had a very um unique i guess mm-hmm. uh connection to the building itself mm-hmm. i felt safe there on mm-hmm. many levels and to me the building itself recurs in my dreams in a very positive Mm-hmm. way not now I ha- i'll have this dream maybe once every year and a half it's so not something con- that right. is very constant it's not like i have this dream every month or anything but when i do it's always the same feeling uh, um that was your family the building yeah so, so, yeah i guess yeah, yeah maybe one more question and then we gotta go because uh we gotta go because that the, this this thing ends at uh three that's why but uh you didn't have hot water, you said, when you were growing up. So how did, did you have to take a cold bath? We would um, warm up water on the stove and then bring it up a flight of stairs in pots and pans. That's pretty freaky, no? Yeah. Or did it seem normal to you? No, it wasn't normal. But I, I think at a certain point we did get heat back. I'm not. And then what, you didn't have any heat? Were you? We had kerosene heaters. Did you, did you sleep in winter coats? And that sounds horrible. No. Did you get sick? Yeah, I was sick a lot. That's horrible, no? (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of real hardships that you don't talk about. Well, you know, for the theater, you you make sacrifices for the theater. Now now see that sarcastic (sighs) remark? There's more defense there. You've got too many defenses to get through Um, in one session. Anyway, I just want to say thanks a lot for listening. Stick around. We got Elan Danziger. Go to our website, Radio Free Brooklyn. Dr. Lisa gets shit.